transformation in your presence there's salvation in your presence there is healing in your presence there is freedom in your presence there is healing in your presence there is freedom come on sing that again there is healing in the presence today there is freedom in your presence there is healing in your presence there is freedom in your presence loving kindness in your presence sweet forgiveness in your presence liberation about communion and this scrapbook came to my mind and this scrapbook was made by my wonderful wife who is a fantastic scrapper and we have several of these at home and and I opened it up because Easter's coming three weeks away we got Easter it is what we're singing about this morning right proclaiming about this morning and so I opened up some pictures of some Easter's in the past And I'm like, wow, I forgot about some of these pictures that are just fantastic of the little babies and, of course, my wife, who is still very hot and good-looking as she was back then, hasn't changed at all, you know? But if it wasn't for this scrapbook, I would have forgotten pictures like this of our son and of our daughter and what we were like back then and what we did And you know, communion kind of reminds me of this scrapbook because communion is a celebration, right? A celebration of Jesus. That's what communion is all about. It's about Jesus, a celebrating, a remembering, and a proclaiming what we're doing now of what he did for you and I on the cross. It's what it's all about. Now, the crazy thing about communion And the life that we live concerning Jesus is we don't have a scrapbook like this to remember what Jesus did for us and what he looked like. I'm kind of glad that we don't have that. But what he did give us was two other tangible things other than a scrapbook of pictures. Number one, he gave us the Bible. And in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John they tell us of the story in their own words, from their own eyes of what happened to him, what he did to us, the pain, the misery, the sorrow that he took for you and I, because that was supposed to be us on that cross. He gave us that. And then the second thing Jesus gave was communion itself, the next tangible thing to remind us of him. 
And it says in our scripture verse today in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, it says, well, and this is the thing before I read that, again, he paints us a great picture of the Last Supper. So we can remember and kind of examine, well, this must look like this. And he said, for I received from the Lord that which is also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, and do this in what? Remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, you know, we don't have a scrapbook, but yet we have the Bible and we have communion. Because if not, I have a feeling we would forget. Just like I forgot what some of these amazing pictures look like of our kids. But then the scripture goes on next. And it says, after we do this, for as often as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But then after that, it says, therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord is in, un in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So here's the thing. As I looked at these pictures, I began now to think and meditate on what it was like back then with these pictures. And you know, our darling little daughter, Alexis, she had that beautiful dress on that Nicole paid way too much for, for one Easter. And then she got, it was so beautiful with the Easter eggs. But then when we got home, she opened up the Easter eggs and she began to eat the chocolate. And it was all over her face and all over that new dress. And that dress was ruined. And I began to think, oh, okay, yeah, that's how that ended. You know? <laughs> it was beautiful in the beginning. But you know, when we're taking communion, let us examine ourselves. Man, you know, somebody said, none of us are worthy of taking communion. Ah, but because we've given our life to Jesus, we are worthy. Hallelujah, we are worthy. We are sons and daughters of God, right? So we are worthy. But we must examine ourselves. Man, where are we? Have I been mean to somebody? Have, have I outcast a brother? You know, have I done wrong? We got to examine ourselves and make sure that we are right and that we are taking this in the right manner because it's a serious thing. And if we don't, the Bible says we're sick and some of us have even died because of it. That's crazy. So right now, just examine yourselves. Take a picture from what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has said and what Jesus has said. Examine yourselves, man, if, Lord, if I messed up, if I've, you know, said something to somebody here in the church or whatever, I'm not even, maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe I'm not worthy of this. I want to receive you right now as my personal Savior. Come on, the Spirit's moving in this house today. And He's moving on your heart. Open it up. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And we're going to pray. So right now in front of you, everybody has a cup with the juice and the bread in it. Pick that up right now if you haven't. If you haven't got one, come on down here and get one. They're right here for you. We're going to open that bread up. I did mine here at 915 with the dream team this morning. We're going to pray. Father, first of all, as we continue our worship with you this morning, God, if there's any sin in our lives, if we've done somebody wrong, God, we ask right now that you forgive us. 
for those things. God, wipe them as far as the east is from the west. Never remember them again. And Lord, help us to turn and not do those things. Help us follow you. Be more like you. Be like Christ. I thank you for it. Holy Spirit is here to help us. Work with us. Lead us and guide us. I thank you for forgiveness of our sins, Lord Jesus. And then God, we are all pure and holy right now. That's as simple as it is. And God, that we are worthy of this bread. We are worthy of this drink this morning. And God, as we take this bread right now, we thank you. God, we thank you that we will be celebrating in three weeks what you did for us, the, the broken body. Oh God, the torn flesh. God, that presented healing for our bodies. By those stripes, by your stripes, we were made whole and we are whole today in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Take that bread together as a family. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we hold this cup up to you today that represents the blood proclaiming and remembering what you've done for us. Oh God, that shed blood, hallelujah, that cleanses our lives. Though we were crimson, the Bible says, we are now made and were made white as snow when we confess him as Lord and Savior of our lives. God, I thank you. That blood has cleansed us. The devil cannot touch us. Hallelujah. We thank you for it today. Hallelujah. He has to pass over us. In Jesus' name, thank you for what you've done for us in cleansing us from all unrighteousness this morning. We give you praise for it all, and we will remember and not forget what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, let us drink. Amen. Nothing like the blood of Jesus 
And God cares about what's lost. We know this from the scripture where he leaves the 99 to go after one or the lost coin. Today in our prayer, we're going to pray for a local group, actually, that is going after the lost. How many of you have heard of worship anyways? It's a group that a, a, a young man literally just said, I'm going to build a group of worshipers from all different churches in our local communities. And we're just going to worship Jesus and invite people that are lost to the event. And let's see what God will do. Well, they have rented the Wapak Theater. And how many of you have watched Jesus Revolution? A wonderful movie, literally telling of a revolution in the 1970s that took place where a revival of salvation happened in the lives of young people. In fact, people that the world had rejected and said they were just hippies smoking dope and that no one could fix that situation. But Jesus came into the midst of them and changed it around and used it for his good. Amen. They've rented the Walpock Theater for April 1st and April 2nd, and there are going to be viewings at 1.30 and 7 o'clock. What I want to do today is I want everyone to stand to your feet because we're going to bathe this event in prayer. They have rented every seat in that auditorium, in that theater, and paid for it. And all we need to do is get the lost in the seat and let God do what God's going to do. They didn't say, oh, we'll do concessions. No, they're going to let the theater sell concessions so they can still make money. Come on. I know. We're not there to hurt the theater. We're there to bless the theater, right? But all we need to do is unlock the heart of sinners and get them in a seat and watch what our Father will do. Worship Anyways is going to be doing the worship before the movie to prepare the heart of the sinner. But what I want us to do is pray for the preparation. How many of you have this little blue card that is God's promises for the lost? And I've asked that you put 10 of names on the back of your card that you're believing for a harvest of their soul in 2023. All I'm going to do is pray these five scriptures over this event because I'm telling you, this is God's will and his plan for that event on the first and the second. Amen. So we're going to pray it together. So I'm not asking that you just watch. I'm asking that you participate in this prayer for the lost, that we unite our hearts as believers in our prayer point this week. Pastor believes in prayer in our churches. It's not something we do after the fact. It's something we do first in our lives. We pray first. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, according to John 6, 44, Father, I ask that you draw them to the Father. Father, that you draw them to Jesus over this next weekend. Father, that they would come into the theater. Father, that their hearts would be softened. Father, I speak to that blind spirit that has blinded their minds. Father, people that we've asked to church before. God, that they've said no, but Father, you're going to begin to break off that blindness that the enemy has put over their mind, God, and that they will say yes to the Father this weekend. Father, I pray that they may have a personal relationship with God according to Romans 8 15. Father, we look back at our school friends. We look at our work friends. God, we look at our family members, God, that have said no to you in the past, knowing that their hearts are being prepared by the Lord right now. Father, we pray for believers to come across their path in this next week. 
Father, that would invite them. God, not one invite, maybe two, maybe three, that they would say something is breaking and I should pay attention to a revolution that's happening in my heart according to Matthew 9:38. Father, we release the spirit of wisdom and revelation upon them, God, that they would know you better, according to Ephesians 1:17. Father, that it's our prayer that they would know you, God, in a greater way. God, that they would not know of a God, but they would know a God that can set them free. God, that the addictions and the, the struggles that they have in their life, God, that they would know they could come to the cross to receive freedom. God, and they would unite themselves with a local church where they could discover their purpose and make a difference together. In the name of Jesus, we pray, fill every seat this weekend. Father, anoint every singer and every musician in that house, everyone that shakes their hand and shares the love of Jesus. God, I thank you that hurts that the church maybe had brought on people before, Father, out of ignorance, God, out of prejudgments that were incorrect. Father, I ask you, God, that those hurts would be healed this weekend in the midst of that theater. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen and amen. God's got a mighty work this week. I'm excited. I'm going to continue to pray. You can be seated. It's now offering time. I'd only believe it's a good time. Tithes and offerings is a time that you and I get to show our devotion and our love to the Father. I was reading in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and it reminds us that we are to take a portion and set it aside the first day of the week. Now for them, that was Sunday. For you and I, I just do it on payday. That makes it easier for me. Then I don't forget to set aside my portion. But we also see later in the scripture that it wants us to be purposeful about our giving. Purposeful. Not something that we think about at a later date, but it's something that we do first because it puts God first in the place in the area of our money or our stewardship for the kingdom. But we can also read that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says that each one should give in his heart what he, or give what he has decided in his heart. So we see that it's something that's to be decided prior to showing up. The scripture goes on to say, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God's asking you and I to decide in our heart to be purposeful about our giving and be sure that it's the first thing that we choose. First, before we do anything else, setting God over our money. So that when you come into this house, and Pastor Nicole gets up here, or Pastor Peter, or someone else in that family gets up here and says, it's offering time that you don't feel pushed to give. That's not why we do what we do. We talk about offering and tithes so that you can learn what God's heart is on giving. And it must be pretty important because he mentions it a lot in the Bible. So there's something struggling for our heart. And it's either money or it's God's plan for our lives. And that's generosity. So I challenge you today that maybe this is not your normal and that you don't come in with a plan. You just wait and then you think, oh, I'll give it. I challenge you that next week you come with a predetermined portion that you've already decided and sought the Lord over and see what he would have you do in your heart so that you don't question 
You don't give under compulsion and you don't give reluctantly. But in this, you'll know that God's spoken to your heart and you can give cheerfully. Because the scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver. I wanna be that cheerful giver. I wanna be the one who portions out what he wants me to give before I get here. And I wanna do it consistently because he wanted it every week. He said the beginning of every week. So I know that giving on a regular basis is Jesus's will for my life. So let's prepare our tithe and offering today. Father, we give our tithe and offering to you today with cheerfulness, out of love and devotion for you. Father, we look in our hearts today and Father, I ask Lord that any lack of understanding about money, finances, or stewardship. Holy Spirit, have your way and begin to work in that area of our lives. Lord, that we could walk in true obedience to you. God, and that we would not serve two masters, money or mammon and you, but God, we would serve only you and that you would have our hearts and not money. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now bring your tithes and offerings, and then we're going to have one of the greatest teachers in all of the world share a message this morning. My grand-my-daughter brought and introduced a young man to me today that he has been my estranged grandson. I didn't recognize him. Where are you, sir? Stand up, young man, and let everybody see you. <clears throat> Hallelujah. One phase down and hundreds to go. <laughs> Praise God. Well, you know that Eric and I just uh, got back from Pakistan. Where are you at? Huh? Oh, there you are. And so uh, Eric uh, has got to uh, worked all week to get some footage about did. Yes, what God did. There you, you show go. The yeah, show the bloom, the bones, uh, hot the beans. <laughs>
up and lay hold of our dreams. And his love for you and I set in motion a time. And at that time, God sent forth his son. Righty. Eric, we didn't, uh, they kind of do it different than we do. They don't get up. Yeah, well, we do live TV. So not only what you right. saw, the 68, we had about 85,000 people there in front of us for that big crusade on Friday night. We had other services, about 4,000 on Thursday night, a couple thousand on a Sunday as well, and we minister to pastors. But what we do is we do it on live TV, so we're very conscientious that uh, as they are showing the testimonies, we don't try to break in and kind of, Say, steal the show, so to speak. We want the people that are there hearing and being ministered to yeah. to know what's going on. So typically we'd say it in English so everyone knows what's going on, but we had some amazing miracles, Pastor. Yeah, we, we had, had um, you saw a couple right there. If you've yeah. ever seen that the young man with white uh, jeans on, he was 12 years of age. He couldn't walk. He walked to the platform after the prayer of faith. Yep. Another man, you saw the cast probably, uh, the guy raising his hand in the cast. 
Uh, his, his arm had been broken, and they tried to set it like five times. The doctors, every time they said it, the bone would become dis dislocated again. So he was in excruciating pain, as you can imagine. He said that night, as the prayer of faith went forward, he felt God put the bone back. The pain was instantly gone. And that's when he came to the show. He still had the cast on, but the bone was completely healed. Yeah. That young man that uh, I put my hand on his chest, he was, uh, I don't know, 30 35 or so, yeah, yeah. but he couldn't talk. Couldn't talk at all. And so we prayed for him and put our hands on him, and uh, I felt the chest bones begin to move, and all of a sudden he just started taking off talking. Yeah. And uh, he just talked, 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 and I thought, Lord, gee, man, he, hallelujah. It was good. He was but still talking it, when we left. Yeah, and we had a couple young kids with club feet that were yeah. turned out straight and uh lots but, of cripples lots of cripples came, uh, came forward yep. deaf ear yep, that, yep. That girl, and a lot of demon and, possession yes yep uh, you, here, over there i mean uh what i shared a little bit on wednesday night and you know I, I try to keep the people speaking the gospel focused on what they have to do but we had about 250 bad guys trying to disrupt the meeting as well we had to have several security forces step in and defuse something so where we're going is, is really life and death in so many ways. And we're thankful, again, church, for your, your prayers, your support. Again, we couldn't do this without you. But uh, I was just doing a quick total, Pastor. We've done five crusades in Pakistan in the last about 16 months or so. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the 68,000 uh, uh, in change we saw come to Christ, we've seen 336,000 come to Christ in five crusades. That's, that's not live TV. That's not anything else we're doing. That's, that's just, just physically in front of people crusade. in Pakistan. Yeah. So. God yep. is moving so mightily in the second yes. largest Muslim nation in the world. It's hard to believe we're able to do it the scale we're doing it, Pastor. Yep. But uh, the Lord's helping us get the, get the doors open. Uh, the doors seem to be, there's a lot of unrest. There was, there was thousands protesting while we were there, thousands. Yep. In fact, uh, just a few days ago, they put an arrest warrant out for the former prime minister. Uh, the interior ministry was under arrest while we were there. People were, it was really becoming a, kind of a hotbed of, of frustration for the people. So God kept us safe, and um, again, we got in, we got out, we yep. got the mission accomplished. And we kind of chose not to go outside of the hotel and yeah. stay yeah. in there where it was a little I think little that was wisdom, safer. right, Pastor? Yeah, Amen. hallelujah. Amen. Or chickenless, whatever it is. Well, we could have sent somebody else out ahead of us, but that would be kind of bad. There right? you go, you know, yeah, hallelujah. You know, make sure it's okay, and then we can go out behind it, but we, I didn't think that would be a good yeah. idea either. So we do want to say thank you for all that you Amen. did and all that you helped us to do. Praise Amen. God. Amen. Thank you, Eric. All right, thank you, Pastor. <clears throat> then let me make this announcement. I want to invite you, if you feel called, to the fivefold ministry, uh, and that means to the being a pastor, prophet, uh, evangelist, a teacher, or a, an apostle. On April the 16th, I'm going right after service. We're going to have a luncheon, and. Uh, and some of the pastors here at the church are going to uh, be there. They're going to be open for questions and discussions about where do you need to go. And after 40 years, I've seen some of the most useless failures because of ignorance and just not knowing what you should do. So there's no sense in you to be there, so I encourage you to join me, okay? All right, and if, even if you think that you have just some questions about it, please uh, join us. Your life will be changed about it. Hallelujah. 
And uh, you know that Jesus is here. He's here and he's unchangeable. He's not looking for a way not to do something. He's looking for a way to do something. And so he's here, and whatever he has ever done in the past for any single individual, any group, any nation, he is here to do the very same thing. He does not change. We change him, but he does not change. He has been interceding for you. Hebrews 7, 25, he's been praying for you in all of your battles and in all of your conflicts and your struggles. He's been praying for you in his communication with the Father. He's been talking about you, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And you, whatever you have, uh, have done, is not unforgivable, but is forgivable at simply calling upon his name. Come now. And let us reason together. Though your sins would be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Jesus wants us to be comfortable in his presence. Amen? If we are willing and obedient, we shall eat of the good that the Lord has placed in this land. It is God's desire for you to experience him today. And I say that so that you will have an expectancy where you are, that you do not have to wait for somebody to pray for you or have a word of knowledge. You don't have to do any of that. You simply need to let Jesus, as he is moving among us, all you have to do is just let him do what he has been known to do for others. Forget about your yesterdays. Don't be condemned. Because you have not done anything that has ever surprised God. And anyway, Paul declared that he was a chief of all sinners. So, besides Paul being chief, you probably and I probably don't rank too high in the totem pole of authority of being a sinner. So let's forgive ourselves. And God declared that he would forgive us, wash us, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, 
choose to believe God and choose not to believe the devil. Amen? Hallelujah. All righty, let's turn our Bibles to, man, I better get going, Romans 8, 28. Today I'm going to attempt to talk to you about divine sovereign judgment. Now, people, when you talk about the sovereignty of God, they think everything is God. Everything is, that happens to us is sovereign. It can't happen unless God wants it. Well, hell is enlarged every day, and God doesn't want anybody to perish. So that can't be true. Well, you know, sovereign, you know, it's just the sovereign thing that God's doing. Well, let's realize that there are many sovereign things that God has done and will do. But there are over 3,000 promises that God will not sovereignly fulfill without your faith. I had a man one time called him out. I was getting ready to pray for him. I said, uh, well, how are you doing? Well, God's in charge. I said, really? I said, where was he last week when you and your wife was fighting? Did he go on vacation and forget about you? He said, well, no, but I said, did he help you fight? Did he help you divide your household? Did he help you get mad? Did God's not in control of you. You are in control of yourself. And you are empowered by the Holy Ghost to be in control of yourself. But we are not puppets. We are people of free choice. Now, the word sovereign means this. Now, now again, it is God's divine. In other words, it's a planned, sovereign judgment. It's a planned, sovereign judgment. Now, the word sovereign simply means supreme or ultimate power. In other words, God has ultimate and supreme power, and when he wants something done that he has foretold will happen, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. But that doesn't mean everything that God wants done will happen. Beloved, it's above, it's, uh, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth. See, God has already said, I want you to prosper and be in health. But it's all conditional upon your soul being prosperous also. So it's not the sovereign will of God, but it is the will of God that he has declared because of his power and authority. Now, it means to be self-governed. In other words, 
that whoever has the sovereignty to declare something, to state something and bring it to pass, they have the power to govern their self. And then it means to completely be independent of others. Now, let me talk to you just for a moment about sovereignty. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God made decrees about his desire and will for man. Those were all done by a God that governs himself, that is superior in every means of power and authority. He is independent of any needed help to make a decision, he made them himself. But there are thousands of decisions that God made in his sovereignty that you and I now can partake of by faith. Like people say, uh, well, you know, I don't think that God wants to prosper you. Well, God never asked you. He never asked you whether you wanted anybody to prosper or not. In fact, he never even asked you if you wanted to prosper or not. But God's desire is he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. Now, see, that is a sovereign decree that God will fulfill that you can activate by faith. You aren't waiting for God to do it. He's already stated his will and desire. Now you have to use your faith to bring it to pass. You know, God hates poverty. You look in the Old Testament, he hates it. And you and I do not have to be bound by debt or limited by our finances because God said this in his sovereignty before you ever read it God said give and it shall be given unto you pressed down shaken together running over now it is true in God's sovereignty he stated that but he also put the fulfillment of that desired statement into your court. You give, and it shall be given. If you don't want it, just don't give. 
And you say, well, I'm rich because of the sovereignty of God. Well, in one sense, yes. And in another sense, no. Yes, God made the statement. But your faith has to activate the statement. Right? Jesus said, I'm not going to pray for you anymore. But God loves you as much as he loves me, so whatever you ask, he'll do for you. Now, you don't have to ask God, God, if it be thy will that I have a block long Mercedes. You don't have to ask God. You don't have to ask God because God has already sovereignly declared what he wants for your life. So whatever you ask, you can be assured that God will not withhold it and God will grant it. Now, that's what the Bible says. Now, you might say, well, you know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Well, show me scriptures. Don't just rabble off out of the dead portions of your mind what you think is right. See, people do that. You know, I've had people say lots of things about things that I've said and done, but realize that, and I'm not trying to be mean, but sheep only see about ankle high. Shepherds see far better than you do because we are empowered by God. You don't know Never mind. Just about took off there on a tangent. Most people don't know their nose from their neighbors when they're looking forward. See, you think you know the heart of God. Well, you may know it for your life, but you don't know it for a congregation. I hate to inform you, I watch for your souls because you can't watch for your own. Well, well, I think some things you do is foolish. Well, God uses foolish things. And maybe he just pulls one out of the hat every once in a while without your consultation or your counsel or even considering you. See, God is over a congregation. He's not appeasing an individual. And God has placed me as a shepherd to watch for the sheep of his pasture. Now, I may do foolish things, but you don't know the end of that foolish thing. And if God never consulted with you or told you 
why I shouldn't have done it, then you don't know why I did it. I remember one time I told teenagers, you know, listen, keep your hands where it's supposed to be. Somebody said, oh, that's just totally uncalled for. But a young man that was in a situation that he shouldn't have been broke it off with a girl and moved on out of that relationship. Now, you didn't know that, old wizard. <laughs> no, no, some of this stuff really irks me because it's just fights. It fights what God has set, and God set the structure of authority up without consulting you at the board meeting. woman told me one time, she said, God told me you're not smart enough to be pastor of this church. I said, well, what you should have done was asking what I would do if you made that statement. Because I'm telling you, get out of this church. They were head deacons, him and his wife. I said on a Sunday morning, I, I said, this is what happened. I told them to go. I opened all the doors, and I said, you can follow them right down the road if you want. Now, you would say, oh, my word, that's just so, it's just so what? Would, would, did you agree with her? Yeah. I'm not smart enough to do what I'm doing. I don't know how to get up in front of 100,000 people and tell them the story of Jesus Christ. I'm not smart enough to open up blind eyes. I'm not smart enough to make the lame walk. I'm not smart enough to make the blind see. I'm not smart enough to make the deaf hear. I don't have to be smart enough. I just have to be authorized and enabled by God to do it. So moving right along, I'm sorry, I've been in the house a few days with Phyllis. Now, God uses his divine sovereign times of judgment for good. There is nothing bad in judgment if you respond to it when it is presented to you. If you don't judge yourself, then you find yourself in the hands of a living God, and you don't want to be there. Judgment is, by all means, a declaration of God's mercy in an attempt to get you into God's goodness. So nobody should be afraid of judgment. Right? Absolutely not. I'm not talking about judgment 
that tries to get people to be like us. I'm not talking about judgment that looks at somebody and thinks that what they're doing should be done done a different way. I'm not called a micromanager, and neither is any other believer. The only time that we get involved in the judgment of a brother is if you see your brother in error. And it seems like that's the only time we don't get involved. Huh? Yep, absolutely. And so, realize the Bible says that all things, God works all things out to the good. And judgment is one of the things that puts God in a place that if you will pay heed, that you will respond to his merciful conviction in order to be placed in his goodness. Why? Because sin removes you from it. Even unknown sins. Now, you might think that, well, you know, sin is not such a big deal. I know it. Said all those that were disobedient to God. Listen, folks. One act of disobedience can mean the difference between heaven or hell. You say, oh, man, I'm doing it all the time. But do you intentionally mean it? Well, well, no, I just make a, I'm just a goofball. I mess up all the time. Welcome to my family. Now, I... I am not an innocent man. Sometimes it takes every fiber in me, and I would think a whole bunch of Holy Ghost to to keep me from doing what I think God would want me to do. Notice that I said that I think that God would want me to do. And so, understand that there are times of God's sovereign judgment. Now, if I could have Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15 on the screen. This is how important this is. This is God's response to the devil and Adam and Eve right after sin, right after sin has broken the unity of man with God. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle 
and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it, her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a prophetic proclamation about what we're talking about today, a sovereign judgment. <coughs> God says, I am putting enmity between thee, between thy seed and her seed, and his, her seed shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that means that there is a day coming when God is going to set in motion where there will be a seed that comes from a woman, not a man, and that it will rise up triumphantly and bruise Satan's head. Now, that's a prophetic proclamation of a judgment that is going to come. There is a foretelling of the judgment that I'm talking about. There is a process of this judgment. It has a time on it. God says that this is going to happen. The woman has, a woman has never had a child without the seed of man. Now, you may, oh, I think, yeah, this is a Christmas story. No, it's not. No, it's not. And then we realize that it's a time on it, and it will be done in stages. Nevertheless, it will be fulfilled. Now, it is unveiled to us that the seed mentioned here will come from a woman. Now, it's never been known that a woman ever gave birth to a seed without a man. This is the only place in the Bible that this phrase is used concerning a woman. And God says it prophetically. And then what we have to realize is that Isaiah 7:14 we all know this that the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel now, that is a portion of the fulfillment of that Scripture. And then, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, Unto you a child is born, 
Unto you a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now that was a confirmation that God was working in a sovereign way to fulfill what he had declared on his own fruition. God chose how man would be redeemed. And then we see that as this is given, we see in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, that there would be a woman that would conceive her name was Mary, and that she would bear a son, not from an earthly man, but from the Holy Ghost, and his name would be called Jesus. Now, we might not think too much about this. This is just a glorified Christmas story. No, it's not at all. I'm telling you that God has prophesied certain times that he would intervene and make sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and every period is in place. Then the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ himself was manifested to take away the sins of man and who, whosoever is in him is free from sin. Hebrews 1.13 says that Jesus himself, remember the promise, the woman's seed will bruise his head. And then it, it declares unto us that Jesus by himself freed us or purged us of our sins. That's a wonderful fact that that's why Jesus came. Amen? Let's go to Matthew 26, 59 through 68. We're going to read it quick, but I want you to see the second thing after Jesus is born Jesus is the only man that has never sinned. And it says, Now the chief priests, elders, and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, many false witnesses came, and yet, not, yet found they none, at the last came two false witnesses. And they said, this fellow said that he is able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest rose up and said to them, answerest thou nothing? That which is these witnesses that are bringing accusations against you. And Jesus held his peace. 
And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, well, you said it. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying he has spoken blasphemies. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard him blaspheme. What think ye? They answered and said, well, he's guilty of death. Then they did spit in his face, buffeted him, others smote him with the palm of their hands, saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now the whole gist of that whole passage of Scripture is that Jesus Christ was sinless. Not only was he born of a virgin at an appointed time, do you know that God sovereignly taxed the nation of Israel three times? The last time was when Joseph and Mary had to go to their hometown and have it recorded and pay taxes. Well, that, that, that was the Republicans. That was the Democrats. No, it was God. You mean God raised taxes? God used any means he chose to use to get his plan through so that man could experience goodness from God. You mean we ought to be thankful when God raises taxes? I didn't go that far. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. I don't think I want God raising taxes. Oh, Uncle Joe's doing a pretty good job of it himself. Except on everybody but himself. Anyway, move along. I'm not political. But even Jesus was wise enough to recruit a tax man. Jesus was without sin. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, says that he was tempted in like every manner, like we were, yet without sin. Now, this is important because a man that sinned was bound by sin could not die for a man and pay the price for his sin. First Peter 1.19 says that we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that was without spot and blemish. 2 Corinthians 5.18 through 21 says that we've been reconciled unto God. And then it says in the last verse that he who know, knew no sin 
became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, why am I saying all of this? Because divine judgment starts when Jesus leaves Gethsemane. He is brought into the courts of judgment of the high priest, then taken into the courts of judgment of Pilate. This judgment is a sovereign time. God sent forth his son made of a woman at the chosen time. Everything had to be in place for Jesus to be judged and for Jesus to die for our sins. Now, the divine judgment brought about by God himself. He had prophesied it in Genesis, the third chapter, confirmed it by the virgin birth, and then provided a lamb without spot and blemish to bring it to pass, John 1.29. And there are two major sections of passage of Scripture that tell us what Jesus did in his judgment. You can find that in Psalms 22, the whole verse, the whole chapter, and Isaiah 53, the whole chapter. Now, Psalms was written 1,000 years before Jesus came on earth. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus came upon the earth. So the two passages are Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53. Now, before the birth of our Savior, Jesus was prophesied that he would carry our sins. Let's go to Isaiah 52 and verse 14. Judgment is about to start, and we get to see the horrible, hideous payment of sin. Isaiah 52, 14, and it says, As many as were astonished at thee, his vintage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall his sprinkle many nations, the king's, shall shut up their mouths at him, for that which has been told them shall they see, 
and that which they have had not heard shall they consider. Now, this passage of Scripture, the first part of the judgment, was that they took Jesus, put a crown on his head, put a reed in his hand, and started slapping his face and asking him, prophesy and tell us who it is that smote thee. So Jesus, his vintage of looking like a human being was taken away. And it's found in Psalms 22, and if you'll put a verse 16, I believe. Psalms 22 and verse 16. This is what the Scripture says that happened to Jesus, that he did not look like a man. I'm sorry, verse 6. Remember, man was made in the image of God. What image did sin give him? And it says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. When did Jesus lose his looks and his identity or identifying factors that revealed that he was Mary's son? At the first part of his judgment, crown put upon his head, and he was hit with hands and spit upon so bad that Jesus' face was no longer recognizable. Jesus sees the byproduct of sin. He doesn't say that he's a disconnected person. He says, I am a worm. In other words, there is no recognition of Jesus and the place that he once held with God when sin begins to be placed upon him or begins its requirement of payment. Man loses his identity. When we get born again, our identity is restored. Amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So, we lose our identity when we fall from sin or become separated from God. The second thing I want to bring out, if you'll go to... Psalms 22, and let's go down to, oh gosh, let me find it here. Looking for the scripture, it says, and they pierced my hands. Which one? 16, there you go. For dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked 
have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Do you know that Israel never crucified people? All of their criminals and all of their sinners were put to death by stoning. But God, in an attempt to show man the horrific payment of sin, reveals the death that his son, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, would pay. It was crucifixion. This was stated one thousand years before Jesus was crucified. God is unveiling to us the cost of sin upon a man's life and why he could not pay it. We understand that Jesus bore our sins. Somebody say, bore. That means that they were taken off of us and put upon him. Let's go to Isaiah 53. I'm going to quickly try to get through this. I know they say, oh man, these are just facts. I'm so tired of facts. Well, if you'd have known it, I wouldn't have to preach it. One thing that this does for me, it reminds me how terrible sin is and the price that it demands of every person. I think sometimes, too many times, Christians don't know what sin is. They think it's a list of to-dos and not-to-dos. That's why you keep doing those not-to-dos. And the reason you keep doing it is because you've never taken up the time to really find out if it's sin or not. A thousand years before, Isaiah 53, we're going to jump down to verse 3, and then we're going to take. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, surely, surely this is the truth. As we look back at it, surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. People think the cross is something that God did upon one man. No, God put it up on Christ that he may die for all men. He was wounded for our transgressions. For whose transgressions? Ours. 
our transgression. He was bruised for our, somebody say our, our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes ye are healed. All of us like sheep are going astray. We have turned everyone out of his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we look at the cross, when we see what Jesus went through, that was supposed to be us. But we could not go through that and be killed and then have eternal life. But Jesus, because he was a righteous man, he could substitute us. He could take our place. He could bear our transgressions, not that he become a sinner. He never became a sinner. He bore our sins. If he had been a sinner, death would have been his master. Jesus never sinned and did not suffer as a sinner. He suffered as the sin bearer. Some of the stuff that we hear and some of the stuff that people preach is just foolishness. Then he goes on and says, he was taken from the prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken because of the sins of others. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. An offering for sin. His soul doesn't become sin. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied by the knowledge. He shall, by his righteous servant, justify many. Notice, though Jesus is a sin bearer, he is still a righteous man. Therefore, he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide with him a portion of the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. What happens? Jesus, when we see him going through all that he went through, he is doing it in our place. In other words, everything that's happening to Jesus is due every sinner that has sinned because that's the wages of transgression. 
then we realize that Jesus was put to death and he died on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus makes a statement. First, he declares, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God never forsook the righteous. But Jesus, bearing the sins of people, Jesus felt the horrific separation that our sins had separated us from our God. At that moment that Jesus dies, Jesus is taken from the cross and he's taken by Joseph of Arimathea, which is a wealthy man. His vineyard and his wine presses are next door to Calvary. Take Jesus from Calvary, the Mount of Skulls, the same mountainous region where Abraham was going to take Isaac's life. They take him down, they prepare his body, they put him in a tomb for three days. At the end of three days, he is raised from the dead by the faith of God. After that resurrection, the kingdom of Satan is destroyed. The 8th John, the 12th chapter, verse 31 and 32. Now is the prince of this world cast out. Satan is stripped of his power, stripped of his authority, and mankind can now be reconciled unto God. Now, believers, I know that this may be shocking, and if you can't handle it, close your eyes, because I want you to see the punishment of sin that awaits you if you forsake the righteous way. Believers, behold your king. Oh, my God. 
sables.
Thank you, Andrew. That was our sin that placed the seed of a woman into a God that had decreed the death of his son. We as Christians have been made the righteousness of God. This type of payment awaits every sinner. Let us run from sin. Let us never forget what we've been forgiven of. And may we continue to perfect righteousness and holiness. I don't mean to scare you, but it all took place very systematically. God took our sins, Peter Dosick's sin, put him upon his son who had no sin. Yet, with a love that cannot be measured, he gave his life for me before I ever was. Please stand to your feet. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, of your proclamation that, God, you would send forth a seed of a woman, that he would break and bruise the head of Satan, that, God, I might be that every believer might be free. God, that our sins would be washed away by a spotless, blameless, pure Lamb, the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Let's lift up our hands just for a moment and just thank God for our redemption. God, we thank you that, God, you have redeemed us, that you bought us with no price that could be matched. God, that you bought us with your own blood. You bought us with your son. You're here today. You want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this prayer. And then there are prayer teams up here at the altar. I ask that you please come and tell them that you've accepted Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son. I believe in that He bore my sins. He shed His blood and He died for my sins. I believe God that on the third day you raised him from the dead. And Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. Come into my heart as you have died for me. I will live for you. <coughs> now please, if you prayed that prayer, come up and just share it with the prayer team's up here. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. There is an inflamed colon that is being healed right now. In the name of Jesus Christ is being healed. Peace is coming to that colon right now. In the name of Jesus. I curse every virus, God, in the area of the bowel. I curse right now every virus. I curse, God, a growth that is up really kind of right at, well, it's my hairline, but at at your hairline there is a growth that has been there you've been deeply concerned about it I curse it right now in the name of Jesus Christ but I pray let this word resonate in us let it just be a reality that Jesus is the sin bearer and that we are the recipients of him completing his work in Jesus Christ's name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Looks like there is a, a vein that is, uh, I don't know if it's pinched under your muscle, but, and you're going to the doctor for it, 
they haven't found it yet, but I'm telling you it's going to unfold before morning and that vessel will be working rightly in Jesus Christ's name. Now, Father, I lose blessing upon your people. I lose blessing upon the righteous. God, sear our hearts and let our consciences be open to your convicting power. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. Hallelujah.